0: Now, normally i would tell you at this point take your bibles and turn with me to isaiah but we're not going to do that this uh, this morning Uh, next week if you want to read ahead and study ahead and uh kind of prepare a stump the pastor thing so read isaiah 55 and uh hopefully at the end of that sermon next week it won't be a stumped congregation Uh, hopefully we'll get some understanding of isaiah 55 but read it ahead of time Uh, because we've been working our way through the book of Isaiah. But this morning we have a special guest with us. Uh, I've known Larry Moyer, the president, founder of uh, an an organization called Evantel out of Dallas, Texas. I've known Larry for 35, 40 years. Um, Larry uh, and his ministry has traveled all over this United States, crisscrossing it hundreds of times over that 45 years, traveled in 60 countries around the world. Telling people and equipping people uh, about how to tell people about Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus Christ? What has he done? What has he accomplished for us? Um, Larry and his uh, organization has uh, changed the lives of, by God's grace, uh, thousands upon thousands of people. Uh, This is the fourth time we've had Larry here. Larry grew up in Pennsylvania, Lancaster County, on a dairy farm. Uh, and uh but came to know jesus as his personal savior through hunting an avid hunter and avid is not the word it's like he's a crazy man when it comes to hunting so right watch While some of you are normal hunters larry is a crazy man hunter so crazy that we could invite him friday night to our uh, men's gathering our our beast feast where he regaled us with uh crazy stories of hunting expeditions uh, around the world, Uh, but a fun time because there's something about nature that can connect you with the creator of it. I always say I love nature in spite of what it did to me, but uh, we have the privilege today of listening to Larry Moyer uh, share his heart and tell us about the most important person you could ever know. So as Larry comes, would you please bow your head and I'll pray for him. Father, thank you for the opportunity that we have now to um to be attentive not just to a speaker but to be attentive to you and to listen to what you're going to stir within us so thank you for the message that larry will share with us thank you father for uh, his presence with us and thank you for the ministry of evan tell for 45 years and your faithfulness i pray these things in christ's name amen thank you larry Well, good morning.
1: It's an honor and delight to be here with all of you this morning. Although I now live in Dallas, Texas, as Mark said, I was born and raised on a dairy farm in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. And so I always enjoy getting back to this part of the country. And it's such a delight to be here with you. And every time I've been here, you've always made me feel so wanted and so welcome. I found in traveling, there are sometimes people that want to make you feel home, but they're not sure how to go about it. Some time ago I was speaking down in Brazil, and I stayed with a family who did not know any English. But their 13-year-old girl was just learning it, and she acted as my interpreter. And she wanted to say to me, make yourself a home. But because she was just learning the English language, she chose the wrong words. And she looked at me and she said, go stay by yourself. (laughs) So it's good to meet those who not only know how to make you feel home, but also know how to say it. But as I told the folks last night and every place I go, I'm very transparent that there is no one who steps from a platform anywhere in America any more grateful to God than I do. Because some of you don't know my story, some of you don't do, but some of you don't. I was born with an inherited speech defect, inherited from my dad's side of the family. That was so severe, I could not pronounce the word T-H-E, the and therefore medical doctors told me to give up all hope of ever being a public speaker. Speech therapists call it an articulation disorder where the tongue has no idea where to go for certain sounds. So again, medical doctors told me to give up all hope of ever being a public speaker. One day seeing high school with my head between my hands so no one could see I was crying because I had just been ridiculed what seemed like the 550th time I told God, if you'll help me with this inherited defect, I will always use my voice for you. And starting that week, I started having control I never had in my entire life. And thousands of the year of speech therapy brought me to am Today. But when you come from that kind of background, you don't take one opportunity for granted. It does not matter if it's an audience of 500 or an audience of 50,000, because if it were not for what the grace of God had done in my life, I could not be on this platform this morning. And it's such an honor and delight to be here with you. But this morning, I want to ask and answer a question. I found when people think in terms of spiritual things, it's one of the five top questions that come to their mind. They might express it in different ways, but it's one of the five top questions that come to their mind. And that is, what kind of person do you have to be in order for God to accept you? What kind of person do you have to be in order for God to accept you. And if you have your Bibles, may I ask you to take them and turn with me to one of the most interesting paragraphs in the entire Bible. It's found in the second part of the Bible, a part called the New Testament, the third book, the book called Luke, chapter 19. I like to start reading at the first verse. Luke, chapter 19, I like to start reading at verse 1. Now if you're here this morning and don't have a Bible with you, may I encourage you to look some ways near you or watch the screen in front of you, I want you to leave knowing where God said first. Well, I'm only going to repeat. So, when you have a Bible in front of you, turn with me to Luke chapter 19. I like to start reading at the first verse Luke chapter 19 and beginning at verse 1. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now, behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of sure stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up in a sycamore tree with him to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste, came down, and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, They all complained, saying, he has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus said, Lord, look, Lord, I give half my goods to the poor. If I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold." And Jesus said to him, today salvation comes to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come, to seek and to save that which was lost. A very exclusive firm in New York City one time put an ad in the paper for a very exceptional employee. And the ad simply said, won it, very exceptional employee. Must be good-looking, must have credit references, must have a graduate degree, and must have written 10 books five of them in a foreign language. Well, it so happened that an elderly man who lived way back in the hills of Kentucky saw the ad. Tattered shirt and torn jeans, he made his way to New York City. When he got to the building where the firm was located, he took the elevator all the way to the ninth floor and walked into their office. There was a very young, attractive, and stylish dressed secretary Sitting behind her mahogany desk, and he, attorney, said, "Are you all the guys looking for an employee?" And she, with embarrassment on her face, said, "Yes, sir, we are." He said, "Are you all the guys? They must be good looking." She said, "Yes, sir, we are." He said, "Are you all the guys? They must have credit references." She said, "Yes, sir, we are." He said, "Are you all the guys? They must have a graduate degree." She said, "Yes, sir, we are." He said, "Are you all the guys? They must have written ten books." five of them in a foreign language. And she said, yes, sir, we are. And there's a bit of sarcasm on her face and in her voice. She looked at him and she said, but if you don't mind my asking, what in the world are you doing here? And he leaned over her mahogany desk, looked her eyeball to eyeball, and said to her, well, I just came the whole way up here to tell you, man, don't count on me. No, I think, in fact, the first time I read that, i laughed just as you have. But it seems to me, behind that very humorous story, there's an the honest point. And that is, there are those who are very much aware. When it comes to certain offers, they just plain don't qualify for them. Some time ago, I had something very humorous happened to me while I was speaking just south of where I'm now living in Dallas, Texas. One noon, I was scheduled to have lunch for the man who owns a small airplane company that both sells planes and gives flying lessons. But since when I got there, he was tied up with the customer so that I would just not have to stand there. He looked at one of his employees and he said, why don't you take Larry out and show him our planes? Now, you must remember, this was a small airplane company that both sold planes and gave flying lessons. Therefore, since the fellow did not know me, He assumed I was either a pilot interested in buying a plane or a man interested in flying lessons. At the same time, I had no idea what was going through his mind, and for that reason, everything went bananas. Because the first question he asked me was, do you fly a lot? I said, yes, I do, and usually I fly commercially. Now, what I meant by that was that when I want to go to Washington, D.C., I take American Airlines, He assumed what I meant was I was a commercial airline pilot. His second question was, well, what kind of plane do you usually fly? And I said, well, I've flown all kinds, but quite frankly, the bigger they are, the better I like them. (laughs) Now you can imagine how he misunderstood that. But the situation reached its greatest hilarity. When he walked out to one of the planes, he unlocked the door and he said, here. Why don't you take this one up for a while? And if you don't mind, I'll go along just for the ride. <laughs> well, I assure you, I could have given him a ride. Because <laughs> that I flown that plane, the two of us would have been the closest we've ever been to seeing the maker face to face. Because no one knows better than I do. When it comes to the offer of flying a plane, I just plain don't qualify for it. And there are those who are very much aware, when it comes to the offers, They just plain don't qualify for it. And there are those who are convinced the same thing is true with the Lord. All you have to do is read the Bible to find out God is offering everybody the free gift of eternal life. He's offering everyone the opportunity to live forever. But there are those who are convinced they just don't qualify for what he wants to give them. Some time ago, I spoke in Longmont, Colorado. One night, I expressed a desire to talk to anyone who did not know for sure they were going to heaven, and a businessman indicated as he started to talk to me that next day we got together. He first of all admitted he did not know he was going to heaven, but then he said, I'd like to. But he then said, there is one thing standing in my way. I said, what's that? He said, I have broken every law in the book. I am too big a sinner for God to save. He is by no means the first person. I've ever had say that to me. There are those who are convinced that because of everything from the record to the reputation, even if they were interested in him, there is no way ever being interested in them. After all, they've heard, God helped those who help themselves. So if you don't have some and self-respect about you, you might as well forget it. Then there are those who have heard, God helped those who help others. So if you have not been a good and giving kind of person, don't put in your application. So, all that raises the awfully important question what kind of person do you have to be in order for God to accept you? What kind of person does God save? Well, quite frankly, don't ask a preacher because there's no need to ask a preacher what God Himself tells you. And God Himself answers that question in verse 10 because if you notice, it says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save. That which was lost. In other words, the kind of person God saves is a person who is lost. Now, that term lost confuses some of us this morning. Just like other terms in the Bible confuse others. For example, one time there was a Sunday school class that was studying. That paragraph in the early part of the Bible that says, God took a rib from Adam and he made Eve his helper. And a young boy in the class could not figure out for the life of him what it meant, that God took a rip from a man, and he made a woman. But he was running home after Sunday school, just thinking about this exciting truth he had just learned, when all of a sudden, he felt a sharp pain in his side. And so he quickly said to himself, oh, my word, I think I'm going to have a wife. (laughs) And that term law confused some of us, just like other terms confuse others. But if you want to know what Bible means by lost, then the man you got to understand is a man by name Zacchaeus, because he's the one the Bible calls lost. And therefore, if you understand Zacchaeus, you'll then know what the Bible means by lost. Now, that paragraph only tells you two things about Zacchaeus. It doesn't tell you 200. It only tells you two. And the first thing it tells you, now all of you are going to be able to identify with because you have never been in his sandals. Because the first thing he tells you is, he was a short man. Look at verse 1. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd. For he was of short stature. Now on that day when a man and his disciples came through town, people would respond the same way they do today when the President of the United States come through. They'd all line up on the sidewalk so everyone would get a chance to see them. But Zacchaeus had a problem not everybody had in that he was only knee-high to a kiddie hopper, and therefore he was in a crowd. He was so short, he could not see between them, and he could not see over them. But you must remember one thing. The key of life were dedicated to the principle where there is a will, there is a way. I was one time talking to a man in Pennsylvania who told me what happened on the first day he ever had with a person who is now his wife. He had a fight with his dad that week, so he, no way he could ask him for any money. He was fortunate just to get the use of the car. He could not ask him for any money, and he didn't have a dime for the date. And so he walked up to the sister. and said, I'll tell you what I do. You and I own a dog together. I'll sell you my half of our dog for $10. And the sister said, no, thank you. I don't care to buy it. So the brother said that in that case, I'm going to go out and shoot my half because I don't want him anymore. <laughs> and the sister almost had a cardiac arrest. She became so upset he might shoot their dog. She gave him the ten dollars. <laughs> Where there is a will, there is a way. <laughs> and the kid's life was dedicated principle. Where there's a will, there's a way. And therefore, although he was short, he was not about to let that stand in the way of seeing Christ. So, look in your Bible, verse four. So he ran ahead and climbed up in a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. Now, another name for the sycamore tree was a fig mulberry tree. Fruit like a fig, leaf like a mulberry. It produced a poor fruit only poor people ate. But since its branches were very spread out and very low to the ground, walking up into it was as simple as walking up a stepladder. Therefore, you can be certain that Caius was not barking up the wrong tree. <laughs> there are no better tree could have climbed, and they're in that position. He had a balcony from which you could see the Lord." And the first thing he tells you about him is, he was a short man. Well, no, obviously, <laughs> that's now the bombing, but lost. Because it is no sin to be short. Some might feel it's a disadvantage at times, but it's no sin. But notice here's the second thing he tells you about him. Now, only does it tell you he was a short man. The second thing it tells you is, he was a sinner. Now, if you will notice, there are three things to tell you that. The first thing that tells you that is his job tells you. Look at verse 2. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Now obviously, since I don't know most of us here today, it could be there's some of us in some kind of government-related job, and you feel like stopping me right now and saying, Larry, don't you dare stand up there and say it's a sin to collect taxes. Then there's others of you, not a government-related job, you attempt to say, oh, yes, it is. <laughs> but regardless of how you feel, it was a sin like Texas, the way kids did it. Because in our day, at least there is an established way of doing so. You earn so much, you pay so much. In fact, our system is so organized, if you don't pay what you should, you know what you should have paid. Some time ago, a man cheated on his income tax, and it bothered him forever after that. So one day he sat down, he wrote a letter to the IRS, and he said, I cheated on my income tax last year. It's bothered me ever since, and closed a check. And then he wrote, P.S., if it continues to bother me, I'll send you the rest later. <laughs> in our day, the system is so organized. If you don't pay what you should, you know what you should have paid. But in this day, the system was not that organized. It was so arbitrary. Because tax would stand by city gates. As people came by their boxes and their bundles, they opened them up, then on the basis of the contents, they would charge a tax. If they wanted to be kind to their in laws, harden their outlaws, they could. If they wanted to treat the Jews one way, the Romans who hired them another, they could. In fact, if you can believe this, the Roman government even allowed them to overtax the people and keep the remainder for themselves. Have if you're smart, the first thing you do is pay up. The second thing you do is hush up. Because if you didn't, when you came by the second time, you'd be charged twice what you were the first time. And apparently, Zacchaeus was hard on everybody knew. He tried to get as many pennies as he could from as many people as he knew. So much so, the end of verse 2 says, and he was rich. And frankly, there is no better city to be a tax collector in. Than the city of Jericho. That's like if someone says to you, Go sell snowmobiles, and then they station you in Anchorage, Alaska. It was the place to be a tax collector because people would come from the east and the west. It was known as the trading center, number one hot spot in which to be a tax collector. And the first thing tells you as a sinner is that a job tells you. But notice, there's a second thing tells you as a sinner. Now, only does a job tell you, the people tell you. Look at verse four, in, in, in verse five rather. It says, And Jesus came to the place, looked up and saw him, and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste, came down, received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Now, frankly, you know just as well as I do. It's never popular to be a tax collector. I sincerely doubt that anyone who'd worked in the IRS office could win any kind of popularity contest. But tax collectors were particularly unpopular in this day because they were hated by the Jews. So much so, it was considered a disgrace to have a tax collector who was part of your family tree. One time, I read of a family doing some work on their family tree, and they discovered that years earlier, one of their relatives had gone to the electric chair for murder. And they realized if they put that in a family tree, it would disgrace everybody. So when they came to his name, they wrote alongside of it, Uncle Charles occupied a chair in one of our leading institutions. His death came as a true shock. <laughs> well, I assure you, if you had a tax on your family, The one thing you do is try to cover it up. And the thing that was most despised about them was the way they used the occupation of robbing the cheat. So much so, Christ one time said to one of them, take only what belongs to you and no more. And for that reason, these people were furious. They were not upset. They were M-A-D mad. And you had no trouble determining how they felt. Look at verse 7. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying that word complain means the murmur and groan out loud. Years ago, I was in a speaking engagement, and that night after speaking, I went to the place where I was staying, and before hitting the bed, I caught the evening news. It was during the presidential primaries. A candidate was about to give an address. Just as he stepped on the platform, somebody said something. whole place erupted. You could not distinguish one word being said. All you heard was grumbling and complaining. quite frankly, had you been a news reporter in the street in the streets during this day, you would have had trouble distinguishing anything being said. All you heard was grumbling and complaining. But quite frankly, there's one thing those people did not understand that if I could be so honest, a lot of us don't either. And that is God does not love you based on what you've done. God is you and loves you in spite of what you've done. Time magazine told about a 37-year-old owner of a pizza of place in Allentown, Pennsylvania, that bailed his wife out of jail for $50,000. Shocked the entire state. The reason was the wife tried on two occasions to kill him. The first thing she did was have her daughter's boyfriend come into his bedroom, take the pistol underneath his pillow, and fire it into his head. When that did not kill him, she then stuffed barbiturates into his mouth that were actually a thing that ended up saving his life because they retarded the bleeding. Two days after that, when he still was not dead, she paid two men $500 each if they would come on in and finish the job. One of them fired a bullet. And one inch from his heart two days after that when he still was not dead the police were tipped off about the situation broke in the man's house found him very much unconscious but believe it or not very much alive they rushed him to the hospital where they saved his life when he had come blessed he then said he would stand by his wife the entire trial and he bailed her out of jail with fifty thousand dollars when a policeman was asked how could he do such a thing? He answered, the only thing he'll tell us is that he loves her. I have no idea what all that man was saying. I know there's one thing he was saying. I don't love her based on what she's done. I love her in spite of what she's done. If there's one thing God's saying to everybody here today is, I don't love you based on what you've done. I love you in spite of what you've done. But notice, there's a third thing tells you as a sinner. Now, only does the Job tell you, not only do people tell you, but he tells you. Look what happens after he comes to the Lord. Verse 8 says, Then Zacchaeus stood and said, Lord, look, Lord, I give half my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. Asking the question, is Zacchaeus a sinner? It's like asking the question, is the White House in Washington, D.C.? Now, who does not know that? Who did not know Zacchaeus was a sinner? including Zacchaeus himself. In the Old Testament, if you stole one item, he had returned four times what you took. In other words, if you stole one sheep, he had returned four of them. That's why it says, if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I'll return four times that amount. There is no bigger or better way he could have said, I am a sinner. And for that reason, verse 9, must have been the best news he had heard in a long time. Notice it says, and Jesus said to him, Today salvation come to this house because you also is a son of Abraham. There are times that you're expecting good news and you get bad news. For example, one time a husband walked into the apartment store and he bought some expensive perfume for his wife. As the crook was wrapping it up, he said, I take it you're going to surprise her. He said, Am I ever? She's expecting a new car. <laughs> There are times you're expecting good news, you get bad news. Then, other times, you're expecting bad news, you get good news. After a kind of life the kids lived, had a right to expect bad news. Instead, they got good news. Looking at verse 9, and Jesus said to him, Today salvation comes to this house because he also is the son of Abraham. God's blessings were given to Abraham in the Old Testament. He saw making him a great nation. Anyone who received those blessings was called a son of Abraham. And the way he became a son of Abraham was to place your trust in Christ as your only way to heaven. And that day, Zacchaeus placed his trust in Christ, and he became a son of Abraham. So that when the Bible wants to explain what it means for lost, it points to a man who's a sinner. And here's the main idea. If you want to come to God, you have to come as a sinner. If you want to come to God and talk about how many times you've been to church, you cannot get to heaven. God does not save people go to church. If you want to come to God and talk about what a good life you have lived, you cannot get to heaven. God does not save people. They have good lives. God saves sinners. If you want to come to God and talk about the time you're baptized, you cannot get to heaven. God does not save people and baptize. God saves sinners. If you want to come to God and talk about the sacraments you've taken, commandments you kept, you cannot get to heaven. God does not say people keep the commandments and take the sacraments. God saves sinners. That's one reason in that book. Those who grew up on the wrong side of the tracks often found it easier to come to Christ than those who grew up on the right side. As has often been stated, you're never too bad for God to save, but you just might be too good. The comment's been made. God saved the lost, the least, and the last. If you want to come to God, you have to come in You're part of the lost, part of the least, part of the last. Please don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. I abhor the thought of murder. I detest the idea somebody break into your house and take what's yours, not theirs. Or there are those times I've had occasion to say to people, I wish you were a murderer. I wish you were a thief. God, you'd find it easier to come to Christ if you were. That means in order to be saved, there's only two things you can do. The first is, I admit you are a sinner. One time I was talking to a 76-year-old woman in Kansas about the good news that Christ died for her. Then I said, now in order to be saved, you have to admit you're a sinner. You admit that. She said, I'm not half as bad as a lot of people I know. We talked some more and then I said, now in order to be saved, you have to be your sinner, you admit that. She said, You ought to know what so down the street's done. We talked some more and then I said, now in order to be saved, you have to be your sinner. You admit that. She said, the Lord knows I'm trying to do what's right. We talked some more and then I said, now in order to be saved, you have to be your sinner. You admit that. She said, I've done a lot of things right in my time. We talked some more, and I said, now, in order to be saved, you have to admit you're a sinner. You admit that. All of a sudden, tears are flowing down her cheeks. She said, yes, I'm a sinner. And the first thing you have to admit is, yes, I'm a sinner. And the second thing you have to do is place your trust in Christ alone, nothing else, as your only way to heaven, because he paid for your sins by dying for you. He died in your place. He took your punishment. He was your substitute. He saved you by dying for you. He died in your place. Some years ago in Brooklyn, there was a young mother who left her baby unattended in an apartment. Right after she walked out of the apartment, a fire explosive in nature broke out and overwhelmed the apartment. Only one fireman would risk his life we in the building and save the baby. But when he got in, he could not get out. So as the flame licked at his feet, he picked up that baby, held it close to his chest, and walked over to a window that was nearby, and he dropped that baby to the fireman below. And he fell back in the flames and died one horrible death. Twenty years later, the woman who had been that baby was seen kneeling at that man's grave. When she was asked, whose grave is this, She answered, this man died for me. Well, the Bible is saying, Jesus Christ died for you. On a cross 2,000 years ago, he took your sin and my sin, your wrong and my wrong, placed upon himself, he died in our place and rose again the third day. And therefore, you have to simply come to God as a sinner, recognize Christ died for you, and put your trust in Christ alone, not Christ plus your baptism, not Christ plus your church attendance, not Christ plus your good life, but in Christ alone as your only way to heaven. And the second you do so, God gives you eternal life as a free gift because God saves sinners. What kind of person do you have to be in order for God to accept you? God answers that with, one man, ten sentences, six words. God saves those who are lost. God saves sinners. So if you want to come to God, there are not five conditions, four, three, even two. There's only one. You have to come as a sinner. And if you can come as a sinner, there is no question. God can save you. Years ago, there was a well-known preacher by the name of George Whitfield. And although he often spoke to his brother about spiritual things, the brother never seemed that interested. But one day, the brother was a bit more despondent than usual, and probably for that reason, more open than usual. And a woman who took care of his house, who understood that paragraph, was once again talking to him about the good news, Christ died for you. All of a sudden, George Whitfield, brother, said, It's no use, it's no use. I am lost, I am lost. And a woman looked at him and said, Well, praise God for that. He said, What do you mean? She said, If you can say, I'm lost, you're the one Christ came to save. If you are sitting here today and you say, I'm lost, I'm a sinner. I deserve to go to hell. May I give you my heartfelt congratulations. You're the one Christ came to save. And if you'd let him, he'd even do it this morning. Let's bow our heads and even our hearts so to speak in prayer. Would you pray with me? This morning, as our heads and our eyes are closed, I would like to ask everyone here... The most important question a friend could ever ask, and I hope I can call myself your friend, and that is, if you were to die right now, not tonight, this morning, do you know beyond any doubt of any kind, you'd go straight to heaven? I'm sure there are those here who say, Larry, I don't think I've ever understood it before. Nobody's explained it quite the way you did this morning. We well, you know it's exciting, I mean exciting. You could trust Christ right there right now. Right there where you are. Jesus Christ could become your personal Savior. In a moment, I'm going to say a prayer. What kind of prayer you can use. If right now you want to tell God you're trusting Christ. Now saying this prayer does not save. It's trusting Christ that saves. Prayers, oh now you tell God what you're doing. But if right now you want to trust Christ, this is how you can tell God that. Just in the quietness of your seat the privacy of your heart. Dear God, I come to you now, and I admit I'm a sinner. Go ahead, tell God that. I admit I'm a sinner. Nothing I am or do makes me deserving of heaven. Tell God that. Nothing I am or do makes me deserving of heaven. But now understand, Jesus Christ died for me. Tell God that. He took my place and punishment and rose again the third day. Tell God that. And right now, God, sitting in the prophecy of this seat, I place my trust in Christ alone as my only way to heaven. Thank you for the free gift of eternal life. I just right now received. Now, as Hesha's eyes are closed, may I say two things? If you sat there in the quietness of your seat and sincerely trusted Christ, the Bible, not Larry, the Bible says, God just gave you free the gift of eternal life. Everything you do from this morning out is a thank you letter to God for what you did today. May I encourage you to live the rest of your life as a thank you letter to God. Month by month, let him take out of your life what should not be there, and what should be there. And secondly, don't be ashamed to tell anybody, I trust to Christ today. When Christ died on the cross, he was not ashamed of you. Don't be ashamed to tell anybody, I trust to Christ today as my personal Savior. Live the rest of your life as a thank you to God. And don't be ashamed to anybody. I trust that Christ today as my personal Savior. He was not ashamed of you, I beg you. Don't be ashamed of him. Our gracious Father, thank you. Thank you that when you devised a way to heaven, you so loved us not to get our advice or thoughts. Because we would have made it so complicated and difficult, But you loving sinners, made so simple, whoever wants to can come. Lord, we pray for those who trust you as their personal Savior. May not be ashamed to say so. And could the rest of their life be a thank you letter addressed to you. And Lord, for those of us who have known you for some time, just remind us again, and keep reminding us all year, that the only thing we can take with us to heaven is a friend. Instead of living 2019 for all this stuff that 100 years from now won't even matter, help us live it for the people who do. For we ask in Jesus' name with thanksgiving.
0: Amen.